This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the Real EFL League One podcast with myself, Matt Stiles. Well, first of all, we hope you all had a very enjoyable Christmas and New Year period, as well as having plenty of food and drink. There was plenty of football for all you League One fans out there and football supporters in general as ever in the festive period. So lots to do and enjoy in multiple ways. Our first show of 2024 is a combination of League One matches and the FA Cup making sure both get the necessary coverage in this particular pod. So it's a mixture of things in this, and it's certainly an enjoyable cocktail for you listeners to like. And I'm not alone, as ever, joining me are two Lincoln fans and regular contributors. And first of all, Chris Lamin and League Two show contributor Charlie Beeston, who had a weekend where their side didn't play, which I think they'd be quite ecstatic about. Hope everything is all good, gentlemen. Very good, thank you. Yeah, I'm delighted to have a week off. To be honest, it's not been not been easy for Lincoln fans with a, on the back of four defeats um, on the bounce over the Christmas period. So yeah, a week off was was very very much enjoyed. Uh, to be honest, yeah, you could certainly you didn't have to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly played at a watching brief, as obviously there was everything unfolding in League One. And in the FA Cup, of course, just before we start, of course, we've loved your support for us thus far. We hope it continues as your support for everything we've put out so far. has been welcoming and everyone here at the Real EFL has been truly grateful for all the attention you have given us. So in this episode, we have five League One games to speak about. Plus, there were eight sides from the third tier participating in the FA Cup, which, of course, as I mentioned, will get spoken about with some interesting ties and results involved as well. Let's start off then in League One, starting off with the leaders, Portsmouth, who were surprised losers at the weekend, losing 2-1 away at Cheltenham Town, whose revival continues under Daryl Clark. Uh, Portsmouth went in front with an own goal from Tom Bradbury that puts Pompey in the lead, but Liam Serkin scoring twice meant that Cheltenham took all three points to continue their amazing um, sort of revival under Daryl Clark. Chris, I mean, it's a tale of two sides at the moment in completely different contrasting bits of form, isn't it? I mean, 
Portsmouth have only taken five points from possible 15, having a little bit of a wobble at the moment. One loss in five for Cheltenham, and they've taken 10 points in their last five games. I mean, you know, whilst you, you say that, maybe to some degree it's not really a surprise given the run of form, but where you see the league table, you have to say it is because Portsmouth away this season, you know, up until sort of Boxing Day, have been very much very, very good, haven't they? They've been unbeaten, but now it's seemingly like the wheels are slightly coming off somewhat. Yeah, they're having a bit of a wobble. They're having a little bit of a wobble. Just one win in five now for Pompey. Um, to be honest, they, they had the better of this game. Um, not significantly more, I would say, but they certainly had, had the better. More shots, higher XG, more possession, etc. But that's been pretty consistent with their recent performances. But they've, they've really struggled to, to really put teams to the sword when they've had opportunities and they've conceded a few soft goals. And they did that, did that today as well. I guess they should, I say. Um, so as you rightly mentioned, they went ahead um, after a quiet first half, it must be said, um, from both sides. Um, an action-packed five-minute spell in the second half containing three goals. Um, so on 49 minutes, own goal from, from Cheltenham, long throw, flick on, unlucky kind of slice clearance from Radbury makes it 1-0 to Pompey. But a really good response. Um, again, another long throw causing that. Uh, and then Circum tucking away. And then just a couple of minutes later, you mentioned Liam Circum scores again, scored his second. Also, his fourth goal in, in five games from central midfield. He's had a good, good goal-scoring run at the moment. Um, but Pompey gifted them that goal, um, to be honest. Uh, ball down the line, chased really well by Aidan Keener, squares it in. Um, Joe Morrell intercepts, lays it off to Shaunzi, seemingly in quite a bit of space, to be honest. Didn't seem to have a huge amount of pressure on him. Just delayed his, his decision-making, took a big touch, got closed down, and again, the ball comes to Liam Circum. And I think it's just a tale of both both sides at the moment in that Cheltenham are certainly making their chances count at the moment and and, and Portsmouth aren't. And they're gifting goals a little bit. Um, it was very much a gifted goal. And if you do give goals like that, um, you don't deserve to win a game of football, regardless of the rest of the stats. Like They did have the, the, the more of more of the game compared to Cheltenham, but not significantly more. Um, and if you're gifting goals like that, you probably don't deserve to, to come out with three points on, on that um, extent. But I think that the big talking point here is Cheltenham because everyone knows the start they had. Obviously, no one point after nine games, no goals. But since Daryl Clark's taken over, they've they've gained 22 points, which is fantastic. They've got a plus one goal difference after being minus 15 after nine games. And their points per game is 1.375. So if that's extrapolated over a whole season... That gives them 63 points, which compared to last season's league table is 10th. So since Daryl Clark has taken over, they're, they're a top 10 side in terms of performance. Um, so, you know, a, a 2-1 defeat by the team at the top of the league on a bit of a wobble against a top 10 team probably isn't going to be much of a surprise. But but the fact that Cheltenham started so poorly, um, maybe we kind of still think of them as that team that started the season so poorly. But in the last... 15 games or so since Daryl Clark's been taken over. They've, they've been very, very different to that. And, and particularly recently, of course. So, yeah, I think I think Portsmouth will be disappointed. Um, but it's probably not the embarrassment that maybe it would be perceived as um, maybe if it happened earlier in the season. So I think I think credit to Cheltenham on this one. Yeah, and, and obviously we were very quick to hammer Cheltenham when they were in that rotten form at the start of the season. But as you mentioned there, a lot of praise does have to go to, to sort of Daryl Clark. But one thing I've really noticed about Cheltenham in this sort of, 15 games that they've had under sort of Daryl Clark. You know, they're very much from set pieces. They really do make the most of it. They've got a long throw, which obviously led to one of the goals yesterday. It was the equaliser um, from Liam Serkin that actually led to that. 
And uh, against Shrewsbury as well, they were very effective from set pieces. He said they did extra work in the build-up to the game on the day of it as well. Um, so that's just one of the real secrets of sort of their success. What other things have you noticed about sort of Cheltenham, Chris, that maybe have caught your eye that maybe weren't quite there at the start of the season? Some of the intangibles, things like confidence. You know, once you're on the run that there was on at the start of the season, they looked just absolutely shot of confidence. Um, played them in Daryl Clark's first game. Lincoln actually came out on the, on the right side of that, but um, Cheltenham certainly didn't look as poor as they had in previous games. Um, and once you get that first result, of course, it was a big result um, as well when they got it. It just, it just kind of settles everything. I think you know, a, a fresh pair of eyes, a fresh pair of ears from Daryl Clark, and um, and then just kind of getting the basics right. To be honest, like you say, set pieces. They've, they've, they've a really solid kind of back three, um, and they've got they've got a kind of a hard working front line. They just, I think they'll stay up, and I think they'll stay up comfortably in the end. I really do because they've they've massively improved, and and no longer are they have they kind of got that that weakness that they had at the start of the season. They were so easy to play against, so so easy to play through. They've just made themselves harder to beat. And and once they've and they're taking their chances, like you say. So I think they're all right. I think that I think Cheltenham are a decent start now. After after the start they've had, it was it was so unexpected to be honest. Um but credit where credit is due, they're a they're a genuinely good side. I and mean, I, I personally feel they'll they'll actually stay up comfortably. Very interesting you said that. And obviously it does maybe feel like now Daryl Clark is getting a real sort of um, squad that he wants together. I mean, six of the seven players that were signed on loan have actually gone back um, in what is the seventh day of January, of course, back to their respective clubs. Um, and obviously, you know, whilst you talk about sort of Chapman and their revival under Daryl Clark, which does feel like no disrespect to sort of Wade Elliott, a little bit more of a more experienced, bit of a more of a proper manager, you could sort of say. For Portsmouth, Chris, I mean... It does start to now show that there is some some real weak points. Now, I would have to say maybe it's centre-back. Regan Paul being injured was a big, big blow to them. I said about Shaughnessy, who I actually did put in as one of the centre-backs in the sort of mid-season League One team of the year. But Sean Rackett, for me, and I know you, you, two, you and Charlie will know from his time at Lincoln, for me, he just doesn't really, I would fill me with confidence. I know that there was a lot of rumours at the start of the window about George Edmondson, he just seems to me someone, you know, I think maybe him and Shaughnessy are a little bit, I don't know, too sort of similar. Maybe need a different type of person at the back. It, maybe it's starting to show a little bit that, you know, at centre-back that might be a bit of an issue. But obviously you two can sort of certainly give a better perspective on, on Sean Rag. Is that a fair assessment? Or would you say there's other areas that they seemingly get a bit found out with it? I think there's definitely an element there. I think you're right in saying that Regan Paul's injury was a huge blow to them. Uh, Regan Paul is, is every inch a championship player. Um, he was unlucky to miss out on a couple of moves in, in the summer that broke down that were that were championship clubs um, and ended up going to a club which I think many perceived to be a, then a championship club next season. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a huge loss. And I think the question from Portsmouth fans is who plays next to him? So without him, you then, like you say, you've got Sean Raggett, who is a dominating centre-half, but maybe just like a little bit of pace and composure on the ball. And particularly a John Messina side who wants to try and dominate possession and, and play through the thirds. I think maybe there's sometimes a little bit of, um, maybe maybe a small weakness there and Sean is in, in the same regard as well. Um, so yeah, potentially centre-half is something they might want to look to strengthen. Uh, but what Pompey have done recently in, in their little struggle, though, to be honest, is they struggled to to take their chances. Kelby Bishop's a hell of a footballer. Um, he's almost like the League One Harry Kane. He's starting to drop deeper and deeper and deeper and link link play more and more. Um, but then they're kind of missing that focal point up top a little bit when he does that. And 
Yeah, I don't know. I think think for me about Portsmouth is they're I don't think they've got a particularly high ceiling. I think their ceiling is is probably the level they've been at earlier in the season in terms of their overall board ability. I don't think there's much more to come from them, but I just thought they were really super consistent. Whereas there are other teams in the league where you think they've maybe got a slightly higher ceiling, but maybe um a bit more inconsistent. And I think maybe we're just seeing that maybe elements of that showing. Um I still think they'll recover. I think I think they're they've got a strong squad. My, we mentioned this on on uh, a few weeks ago, Charlie and I on I think on, on our Lincoln part it about them said that uh if there was in last season's League One, last season's League One is a stronger league than, than this one. I think we've all probably could agree with that. And Portsmouth are probably a playoff side, a, a competent playoff side. But I think maybe that that little bit of uh, a weaker League One this season means that they have got the opportunity to push higher. Um so yeah I, I think I can see them massively improving their, their form again. I think I think they've been reasonably consistent at the start of the season. They're, they've got a lot of seven out of ten players, and they're just coming out on the on the wrong side of some tight games at the moment. Centre back maybe is an issue. Um, I don't think there's a lot to worry about here from Portsmouth. I think every team has a little wobble like this. For me, the the big talking point is just absolutely credit to Cheltenham for me for this game. It really is about Cheltenham for this rather than about Portsmouth. Yeah, and obviously with Portsmouth, we talk about Colby Bishop. Of course, if he was to get injured, they would be in a spot of bold with Cassini Yengi away with Australia at the Asian Cup. And, of course, as well, the fact that they won't like hearing this, Pompey fans. The last two times they were top on Christmas Day uh, was 2018 and 2020, and they didn't actually get the most. They'll be hoping it's not a case of third time lucky. But every credit and praise has to go to Cheltenham Town. Let's move on to Fleetwood 1, Derby 3. It's the first game of the day in League 1. It was the early Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Um, Derby recovered after that late loss to Peterborough on New Year's Day by winning 3-1 against the hopeless Fleetwood, it seems, at the moment. Um, first home game under Charlie Adams didn't bring any success. Nathaniel Mendes-Lang, James Collins put Derby into a 2-0 lead. Jaden Stockley got a fight back on for Fleetwood, but Tom Barkheisen sealed the victory as Derby recorded a victory. Just one loss in 11 it is for Derby. They are winless in nine now, our Fleetwood, with seven losses in that time. Charlie, let's talk Fleetwood first. Obviously, Charlie Adam was appointed over the sort of New Year period between that and Christmas, replacing Lee Johnson, uh, of course, was let go because of a poor run of form. Fleetwood are known quite notorious for giving new managers fresh into it a chance. Obviously, they've done it before with the likes of sort of, um, you know, Joey Barton, Stephen Craney, Charlie Adam. Of course, there's a lot of the Northwest link there. Hasn't started great so far. Do you think that this is a job for Charlie Adam? This is a bit of a poison chalice. I would argue that they needed somebody with top-level experience to be able to keep them in um, League One. And to be honest, I actually thought Lee Johnson is, you know, as divisive of a figure as he can be. I actually thought he was going to be the person to do that for Fleetwood Town. I think they've got some real good quality in their side, but they're just not seemingly able to show that in games. And when when they were struggling earlier on in the season, I then very much put that down to the fact that, okay, it must be tactics because they've got quality within the side, but they're not able to show it enough. There's obviously tactical flaws in this. Manager needs to go. Well, that happened. Then on to their third manager of the season. The same things are happening game after game after game. And it isn't just, you know, like I say, it isn't just kind of one-off issues. They are consistently having the same issues. Their defensive woes are really, really costing them. It's a major problem for them. Yesterday's game, for example, Nathaniel Mendes-Lang, when he opened up the scoring, a lot of that came 
from Fleetwood not being able to clear their lines. And that's not the first time that, that has happened. It's, it's a common, common theme. But at the same time, they're not actually scoring enough either. They've only scored 22 goals in the league this season. It isn't bottom of the league by any sense. But when they are the worst team in the league in terms of goals conceded, they have to be much better for goals scored if they want to be anywhere near mid-table. Like I say, for me, it, it just must be there is an issue with the tactics here because I'm really struggling to see how they get out of this as it stands. Because like I said, they've got the quality. They're in the, we're in the January transfer window and of course they may look to make some changes. But changes aren't going to happen overnight and I don't necessarily know if it's a massive personnel issue at the minute. Something isn't going right within that football club. I mean, we know that things aren't going right in that football club, but not on the pitch and on the playing side either. These Whatever it is that they need to sort out, they need to sort out very quickly. And Chris was talking about some of the intangibles with Cheltenham, the confidence and the sort of the fight, the desire, those sorts of things. And I'm not seeing any of that from Fleetwood Town at the minute. When you stop seeing that in a side that are so low down near the bottom and just you're not seeing it in January, you're really going to struggle again to see how they get out of this predicament they found themselves in. Just quickly before we move on to Derby, do you really think in your heart of hearts, they have a chance of survival because they are very now adrift at the bottom, it seems. I mean, themselves and Carlisle, which we'll talk about later, you know, Fleetwood are eight points from safety. So it does maybe feel like now that gap is just widening just a little bit. It's going to be a tough ask, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I don't want to... It's difficult because I don't want to judge the start of a new managerial reign in a match against a a high-flying derby side. But... You know, again, like I say, the fact we're seeing the same issues over and over again is very worrying. Those need to be fixed. Jaden Stockley scored yesterday in the 76th minute. That was Fleetwood's first shot on target in the game. Those sorts of stats are not good enough for a side in League One. Like I say, they're adrift at the bottom. I don't want to be writing anybody off this early on in the season. But at the same time, just starting to worry slightly whether or not they're going to pull themselves out of it. I'm starting to think that they might actually be relegated. Interesting. I don't think you'll be the only one who probably shares that same view, but let's talk about Derby. They're looking to go the opposite way, out of the division, into the championship. Um, I saw actually a, a Fleetwood fan tweet yesterday and said that it was a very much sort of a typical sort of Paul Warren performance where I didn't actually catch any of the game. So this is kind of just going on what people said, but you know, they almost sort of suggested it wasn't quite a good performance to watch easy on the eye, but it was very much a Paul Warren type performance and one thing that is really noticeable in this really good run of form is they're scoring lots of goals to match to it you know there was a little bit maybe at the start of the season where they weren't quite getting the results you know where they were you know losing away to sort of Shrewsbury drawing it Cheltenham maybe saying well you know we're not really maybe not creating too much we're not backing up the sort of goals but that might be sort of changing now I mean they scored 13 in their last six games and James Collins who you know is probably got a bit more stick at Derby since he's been there than he you know, would have liked, is now hit three in his last two, maybe the start of a purple patch for him. What would you make of that from from what I just said about Derby? Maybe the general sort of consensus. We've been a little bit too harsh on them because, you know, the run of form they're in, it does seem like a moment no one really wants to play them in League One. Well, I've just spoken about a side who have, have got some quality in the team but don't seem to have a tactical kind of identity to match. 
while Derby have exactly that. Paul Warner's got this team set up, and I think it's taken a little bit of compromise, actually, from both Paul Warren and his team of players. It seemed like at the start of the season, things just simply weren't going well. And I actually don't know whether Paul Warren had full control in in the sense that his players weren't necessarily doing everything that he wanted them to do. Uh, maybe they wanted to go in a slightly different way as well. And I, I wondered whether there was a little bit of disconnect there in terms of kind of an idea of a style for the future. But whatever happened, whatever did happen, they've obviously come together now to very much sort any of that kind of issue out. And he really could lead them into the top two. What, got to bear in mind if their only league loss since the end of October has been against high flyers Peterborough United and you know that was obviously on New Year's Day but that's no coincidence like I said Warren has very much got this team playing exactly how he wants them and then he's not relying on but he's allowing the quality in the final third that Derby County have to really show Nathaniel Mendes Lang, he's got a goal or an assist in every 150 minutes of play this season, right? 13 goals slash assist. It's really, really impressive numbers. Max Bird as well, I think, is absolutely outstanding and he showed it again yesterday. It was effectively, I'm giving full credit to him for uh, Barkhausen's goal in the 90th minute to kind of wrap up the three points. Really impressive as well. What a what Paul Warren has managed to do is he's managed to set up this really strong tactical style that we saw at Rotherham United and we're now seeing at Derby County. And he's allowing those attacking players that clearly have solid technical ability to flourish in the team as well. When that comes together, it's obviously working for them really well. That means they're scoring many. They're not conceding too many either. They look like they could be a recipe for automatics as well. So really, um, really pleasing for Derby fans. And also, I just want to mention, Josh Vickers uh, made his first league appearance start for them yesterday. Obviously, it uh, was a very, very tough 2023 for him, but he's kicked off 2024 uh, with obviously real real big milestone for him in his uh, Rams career. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Derby, there are only two points off Bolton in second in the league, but of course, Bolton do have um, a game in hand on them, of course, with their participation in the FA Cup, which we'll touch on later. Um, and they are the second highest goal scorers in League One as well with 47. You mentioned there Max Bird, um, of course, for Derby fans, will be open in January. He doesn't actually maybe leave the club. He's reportedly rejected a new contract. So they either could sell him or want to keep him to try and get promotion or run the risk of the fact that he may leave on a free. So it's an interesting dilemma. For Derby County, uh, not too far away from Derby uh, in terms of the geography is Burton Albion, of course, still with Gary Mills in temporary uh, caretaker charge of the club, of course, in the absence of Dino Marmaria, who was sacked a fair few weeks ago. Um, he, he's only in his three games at home, seven points he's taken now. Drew yesterday 1-1 with Wickham at the Pirelli Stadium. Bez Labala put uh, Burton in front before Sam Vokes uh, who really helped himself on New Year's Day against uh, Bristol Rovers with the equaliser for Wickham. Um, for Burton, I think, obviously, it is interesting because they are in a club where they're a very sustainable club, aren't they, Burton? I remember we, we sort of told the news about sort of Mar Maria going and, you know, they're always one of those clubs, Burton, for me, that they're not the most attractive of clubs. And I think, you know, they're very much sort of, don't you would imagine not get inundated with a lot of candidates coming into their job. And I don't mean that with disrespect. I think they're a very... As I mentioned, you know, previously, I think they are a sustainable club. It's very much sort of Ben Robinson who's the sole sort of main benefactor of the club, if you like. It's a very close-knit sort of community club. And you look at a lot of the sides in League One, they'd probably be at the bottom of the ladder 
in terms of the actual general attraction and size of them. So maybe they've kind of thought as a board and on the footballing operations, look, let's see how well Mills does and we'll take it from there. They're a very different side, it seems, at home to what they are away. That's very clear. That's very obvious. I mean, obviously, they've picked up some good results at home. They've got two new wins against Blackpool and Shrewsbury, then Drew uh, yesterday. So possibly there, there might be some, you know, the fact that they've already got a caretaker in situ that maybe is under their noses to be the new manager because you don't often see, since Marmaria has gone, rumours about who's going to come in really surface at all. So that's something I think maybe that Burton moving forward might look to do. But for Wickham, for me, I think it looks like he's almost changed a bit of the way he wants to play, uh, Matt Bloomfield. You talked there, Charlie, about a compromise a little bit with sort of Paul Warren and Derby and the style of play. You're seeing some of the goals they're scoring late there, seemingly putting more crosses into the box. You know, Sam Vokes, when he's fit, when he's firing, is a massive, massive player for Wickham Wanderers and obviously scored a really well-taken goal yesterday from Jack Grimmer's cross on the right-hand side, which is sort of volleyed in um, past the uh, berth and goalkeeper. So that is something they need to do. Maybe they're looking to use the the, the sort of direct target man appeal and Vokes a little bit more, playing to his strengths a little bit more rather than what Bloomfield wants to do, which is have the possession sort of through the midfield. The, the form has been a bit worrying still. I mean, yes, they got a win on New Year's Day, but it, they only have won one game in 14. They've gone really sliding down the table. And I, and I do think maybe that if results don't pick up in the next sort of few weeks where they're getting more wins than, than sort of draws or losses, maybe the pressure just cranks up on Matt Bloomfield because there is still... A bit of a jury out amongst Wickham fans under Bloomfield. So it is interesting to see how it develops there. But probably all in all, when you do sort of boil down the statistics, you probably would maybe say that Wickham probably should have won. I mean, they had an extra of over two. They had double the amount of shots compared to Burton. So this might feel like a bit of a missed opportunity. But Wickham, away from home, seemingly just as poor as Burton are on the road. And that will definitely feel like for them, maybe one game that got away. Uh, let's talk to Chris again then. Port Vale 3, Charlton 3, game of the day in League One. Probably a lot of Port Vale and Charlton fans saying, why are we only fourth out of the five games? But if you understand sort of the, the sort of table positions and things like that, you maybe seemingly um, understand. Um, Charlton at the moment, Chris, it seems conceding late goals is a real big problem for them. I'll explain the statistic in a minute, actually. Uh, Corey back at Taylor, who's been actually very good for Charlton since Mike Atherton came in, put them in front. One all at the break when Ethan Chislett would score from the penalty spot. Daniel Carnu would then make it 2-1 for Charlton. Uchek Piazu would make it 2-2. They lead again with a goal from uh, Tyrese Campbell. And then Gavin Massey in the 92nd minute in stoppage time would secure a draw for Port Vale. So Charlton lost the lead three times yesterday against Port Vale. In terms of late goals, Chris, in the last 12 they've conceded, six have been in the last 10 minutes plus stoppage time. And that includes away yesterday to Port Vale. They conceded in the last five against Oxford at home, uh, in the 94th against Bristol Rovers, in the 80th against Orient, the 92nd at home to Burton to draw, 96th at home to draw to Cambridge. They're seven winners. We sort of gave praise to Michael Appleton when the team were playing well and they had a good start under his reign. Now the form has seemingly hit the buffers. It does feel like Charlton fans are getting a little bit disillusioned with Michael Appleton. He's, is he a man under immense pressure, would you say? Or is it just kind of the way the nature of the beast is? You've got to roll with the punches and rough, you know, take the rough and the smooth. I think although it's very early in his reign, you can't deny that there's pressure on. 
uh, you know, that's that's nine games without a win in all competitions, I think, maybe even 10. And they've only won one league, one away game all season. Part of that with the late goals, and that's a, that's a definite Achilles heel, that there's a real pattern forming there, and that is not a not, not a positive, obviously, at all from Charlton fans. So, yeah, I, I think all of us will generally try and try and back managers here, and we generally believe managers should be given time, and I, and I think that absolutely is the case with Michael Appleton, but there's no denying that the pressure is going to be ramped right up right now. Um, doesn't help, of course, that Alfie May has missed the last couple of games, and he uh, missed this one as well. He's injured, and, and Miles Leeburn, of course, is injured as well. So, you mentioned Corey Blackett-Taylor there. Um, between Alfie May and Corey Blackett-Taylor, um, they have scored 53% of Charlton's goals uh, in the league this season, just between the two of them. Uh, there's not a single fit player in the squad other than Blackett-Taylor that scored more than two league goals. Um, so there's no surprise that they've been linked with with um, Johnson Clark Harris, of course. I think they've recently had a, a half a million pound bid accepted. That's the talk in the newspapers at the moment. Um, they desperately need to take the burden off Alfie Makers, take him out of the team, and they don't score many goals, despite the fact they scored three in this game. Um, they had an XG of just 1.0. They didn't actually, they, they took the lead three times, but statistically, they probably didn't deserve to take the lead at any point. Now, they certainly didn't deserve to win this game, let alone draw it, statistically. Um, Port Vale came from behind three times, so there's a bit of game state there, I think, taken into account. But they had an XG of 2.65, had 24 shots, 12 on target. Charlton only scored three of their four shots on target and were gifted a couple of soft goals by, by Port Vale. They did capitalise on those mistakes by Vale, but they didn't create a huge amount themselves. And I think that's a real a real worry because Michael Appleton teams create a lot of chances. They generally do uh, concede a few chances. They tend to be a little bit open. They maybe do concede a late goal. That's something that we certainly took from Lincoln when he was in charge there. But without Alfie May in the team, they they struggle to create a huge amount and certainly struggle to put it away. So, yeah, it's, it's tough at the moment for for Charlton. Very, very tough indeed. But perfect time of the season, of course, with the transfer window open. It seems like there's there's a few quid to spend, considering they've put a half million pound in for Johnson Clark Harris. They've already made a loan signing of Lewis Fiorini, who is one of Michael Appleton's favourite players. It's to be the third club he's played with him at now as well. Um, it really is a good kind of creative um, centre mid or attacking midfielder so he'll, he'll definitely add a little um, maybe some goals from, from outside the area but certainly some creativity into the team um, but, but what they're crying out for more than anything is just a bit of consistency um, but they're they're in a real rut at the moment um, but I think what's worth putting out to put a positive spin on this is in their last 11 games every single game has been um, either a draw or if it's been a win or a loss they've been by one goal they haven't been head and shoulders behind anybody at all uh, in terms of results. So they're not a million miles away. Um, but I have to admit, I expected them to push on under my Clapton more than they have done. Um, but January is a great chance for them to really kick on. And just talking about the transfer window for, for Charlton, obviously you mentioned one of the signings, Lewis Fiennery. They have actually also signed Tyreek Bakinson on loan from Sheffield Wednesday. So he's clearly seen already that central midfield is a big, big problem. Of course, George Dobson, who I actually think has had a fairly decent season, um, mm -hmm. for Charlton is sort of seemingly at the moment going to get two new players in Baconson and Fiorini. You'd like to think will probably slot in straight away. We know with Charlton, Chris, they are a team who do tend to attract the better players in League One. If they seek to sign someone, they usually do go and get them. We know that with Alfie May, he chose them over several other clubs. They're linked with a couple of other players. Greg Doherty linked from Hull. Nicole Gillespie is linked from Plymouth. See, Johnson Clark Harris, you mentioned, is expected to sign for Charlton. Of course, he hasn't arrived there yet at the time 
of recording. We know Charlton and Lee got an attractive club. We know that there is money to sort of spend there. Um, it does feel like that their recruitment policies always seemingly change. It's always a little bit sort of unsure. You don't know what sort of way they're going to go a little bit. I mean, you know, we've seen them try and get a lot of loanies through the door. I mean, when it was in the championship, they signed lower league players. Um, they've now gone for sort of big hitters in League One. It's seeming at the moment every sort of approach they've taken, it's it's not quite sort of worked. I mean, you know, what what sort of recruitment plan do you think they need to kind of put in place? We know what Appleton's use is at his clubs. It's kind of maybe a little bit going against what he's usually done, isn't it? Because he's seemingly signing players who've had the experience of either playing in the league or playing in the EFL in general. He's gone very different to what he usually knows knows himself as having and having that reputation, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's a little bit disjointed, to be honest, historically at Charlton with their recruitment policy. And I think changing manager relatively regularly is, it hasn't helped. And it would really indicate to me that Michael Appleton is having a fair um, a fair impact here, certainly having a, a say, because I doubt they'd have signed Lewis Fiorini at the time if, it, if it, that wasn't down to um, Michael Appleton. Um, I think if we all think of Michael Appleton, we think of the, the brilliant work he did at Oxford particularly, um, developing some really good young players and selling them on for a profit. Um, I think we really kind of associate Michael Appleton with development, don't we? But on the back of certainly a, a challenging spell in Blackpool and maybe not a particularly successful last season at Lincoln, um, maybe his stock isn't quite as high as, as it was. And maybe the pressure's on him to get results more immediately than maybe previously. You know, I think... Three or four years ago, you'd, you'd hire Michael Appleton if you wanted to build something from scratch and you wanted to put some you know, building blocks in place to kind of have sustained success over a number of years. Um, it seems at the moment things are a little bit desperate from from both club and manager to try and get results sooner than that. And you know, ultimately, they, they've already got good individuals in their squad. And I think they, it sounds like they're going to be adding better individuals. The real test will be is is can they, can they create a cohesive unit out of those? And you mentioned that with Fleetwood, albeit at a lower, at a lower level. Um, but they've got good enough individuals to stay up, but they're miles away at the moment. And, and Charlton are kind of the next step up to that. They're obviously not a- anywhere near the threat of relegation, and they're not going to be, but they're not anywhere near the level they expect themselves to be. Um, they are definitely underperforming at the moment. Um, but ultimately, thinking about the results, again, they're in tight games. Every game is a tight game for them at the moment in terms of results. They're not a million miles away. So maybe you think if they can add one or two players that just help add a little bit of balance there. You mentioned central midfield is clearly an area that they're looking to improve. And I think what they do lack in central midfield, bar Dobson, is a little bit of experience. They've got Dobson and Fraser, but uh, bar that, um, you know, Tyrese Campbell's simply their player. That, and I think he's got a real kind of high ceiling, Tyrese Campbell. But, um, you know, he's a, young, he's a young lad. You're getting consistency with that. And, yeah, I suppose he's just trying to add experience, add quality and ultimately throw everything they can um, this season because they're still not a million miles away. A, a good run second half of the season and they can and they can make the playoffs just like most teams in, in mid-table at the moment. Um, I think there is that, I mentioned it in that, earlier, that perceived slight weakness in League One compared to maybe historical years. Um, and I think there's a lot of clubs maybe in that upper mid-table or even the kind of mid-table area that are thinking this is still a really good opportunity. If you can put a run together post-Christmas, you've probably got a better opportunity of getting in the playoffs and getting out of this division with the standard of, of, of squad that you've got now compared to maybe in the last two or three years where there's been some really, really big hitters in the, in the league. Um, so, yeah, I imagine what they're doing is is just kind of turning the screw, throwing throwing a few pennies at it and, and, and kind of hoping for the best and hoping that Michael Appleton can, 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 can form a cohesive unit, which historically he has done. 
Yeah, there is a basis there for a good team. I, I don't deny that. And I mean, obviously, you mentioned about the striker situation. Um, they played Daniel Kanu up front there yesterday. He did score, but you can't expect him to lead the line with Alfie May injured and Miles Lieber. And of course, I think Alfie May's got a bit of a back injury. So that'll be some front three if you could potentially have Blackett Taylor, May, and Clark Harris. You're going to make it work somehow, um, potentially, if Clark Harris does eventually sign. But just a quick one on Port Vale, Chris. Obviously, there was one stage in the season they weren't scoring, they were misfiring in terms of results. Bit depleted their squad. Seemingly got more of their attacking players back. Look a bit more of a threat going forward. Three goals yesterday. They seemingly under Gary Crosby, you know, motoring along nicely going forward and scoring goals to back that up. Yeah, and they deserved it yesterday. They deserved all three points yesterday, despite never actually being ahead in the game. They deserved the three points. They they created chance after chance after chance and and, and couldn't quite take them all until they got that very well, very much deserved last minute equaliser. Um, Uche Piazzi was a, a really influential player for them. He not only does he is he getting a few uh, goals himself, he really allows uh, his teammates to get forward. He links play really well, holds the ball up superbly, and just allows them to get higher up the pitch. I've been really impressed with him since he's since he's got into the team at, at Port Vale. But also, there's an element of they are now just actually it's, 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 it's kind of simplistic as this might sound. They were underperforming their XG for the opening part of the season, both in terms of goal scoring and conceding. They were, they were conceding more goals than they should have been statistically, and they weren't taking their chances away statistically. And, and what seems to have happened, certainly going forward, is that they're now able to, to kind of take a lot of those chances that they are creating. Um, they're still actually underperforming their XG goals for overall this season, but they're catching up that, that average now over the last sort of four, five, six weeks. So... Yeah, I think Port Vale are going to continue to go from strength to strength. They they deserve to win this game comfortably, and they'll be frustrated because they they gifted Cheltenham, uh, Charlton, sorry, a couple of goals here. Um, Charlton did, of course, capitalise, but even though they weren't ahead at any point in the game here, Port Vale, and it will feel like a win after a last minute equaliser. Um, statistically, and I think on the balance of the game, they it was actually two points dropped, despite the fact that they were um, never ahead. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024, and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows, and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash realEFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now... Back to the podcast. Away days are great, especially when your striker bag's a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Let's move on to the fifth and final game. Yes, it was a relegation six. Going to Exeter two, Carlisle one was the score yesterday from St. James's Park. Uh, Reese Cole had put Exeter in the lead. All three goals, by the way, coming in the second half. Sonny Cox 
who had a loan at Yeovil Town in the National League South, put them 2-0 up. And then Carlisle did pull a goal back with Daniel Butterworth, but it wasn't enough as Exeter took all three points. That's seven points out of a possible nine they've taken at home in their last three games. Two wins, including Carlisle yesterday and Wickham. Prior to that, they drew reports of him between nil-nil. Carlisle have been busy in the window. We'll talk about them. But Exeter first, Charlie. There was a lot of talk about Gary Caldwell maybe getting the sack, of course. They had that drubbing at Bolton where he actually put the centre-back up front, which is something that the Exeter fans probably still maybe have not quite forgiven him for. I think it was Sheikh Diabate who started that day up front. Slowly but surely they're improving. It does maybe feel like their home form is going to decide how well they're going to do and if they're going to stay up in League One this season. Do you agree? It's, it will definitely be... Um... A, a major point for them. Exeter have picked up seven points out of the last possible 12. That is exactly what they needed uh, in the turn of the year and from the festive period because it gave them the opportunity to stop the rot. They were free-falling, as we know. And to be honest, I, I thought Gary Coldwell was going to be out of a job, but they stuck with him and they're starting to, to see now some of the sort of fruits of that decision. And I think it was a huge, huge confidence booster again for Exeter to be able to get that. After the uh, after their last victory uh, against Wickham, they're obviously first in quite a while. Uh, funnily enough, Czech Diabate, seeing as you just mentioned him there, he actually sort of came out in the post-match press conference and said that was, you know, such a relief. And I just, I, I do wonder, you know, is that kind of relief and the fact that they've suddenly got that pressure slightly off them. Obviously, they are still down in the sort of, well, the bottom five at the minute. Um, you know, they are still down there. But I'm just wondering, is the pressure of being a side in free fall, that kind of having been uh, been relieved a little bit and they're starting to sort of play some football again? And they played some really nice football yesterday as well. They um, They created lots of really good chances. Don't get me wrong. Carlisle created some themselves, but definitely the home side were were the better side, and obviously they got that goal uh, on the sort of fifty seven minutes mark from a really nice sort of cross, uh, and Reese Cole smashing the ball in from twelve yards out, and they obviously got the second as well, not too long after in the seventy seventh minute, uh, shot hit the uh, hit the post. It was Aitchinson's uh, shot. Hit the post and uh, yeah, Cox managed to sort of quickly turn in the loose ball. Obviously, yes, granted, Carlisle got one back, but yesterday was for me it was so much more about Exeter. We'll talk about sort of some of Carlisle's um, sort of shortfalls in a minute, I'm sure. But like I say, this is this is another victory for Exeter. It's stopping that horrendous run that they were on, where you know. They were top of the league, weren't they, or, or in the automatic places at uh, the start of September and then managed to pick up very, very small handful of points. I remember they went sort of 10 games where the only point they picked up was, of course, at home to Lincoln. Uh, what a surprise, eh? Um, you know, and, and that's sort of the uh, that's that was kind of the way that I worried their season was going, that Exeter were going to continue in free fall and find themselves in the relegation zone and then struggle to get out of it because it is a totally different mind game trying to pull yourself out of the relegation zone to, to sort of try and stop yourself from being in it. Now that they're sitting fifth from bottom, 
and they've shown that they've had a bit of an upturn in form. Obviously, yes, they had a they had a loss on uh, on New Year's Day, but the fact they're able to kind of show this slight upturn in form, I just wonder now are they going to be able to kick on? Obviously, look, they're away at Blackpool in their next game, maybe not the easiest, but then at home to Cambridge and then away to Bristol Rovers and then home to Bristol Rovers after going away to Barnsley. That's sort of their next few fixtures. And you're looking at that and you're just thinking, actually, the way Exeter are playing at the minute and the way they played yesterday, if they can replicate that, wouldn't be too surprised to see them picking up one or maybe even three points at home to Cambridge. Away at Bristol Rovers, I think, again, it's a winnable game, especially home at Bristol Rovers as well. So I think uh, Exeter are going to be in a nice little position. We've spoken about teams like Fleetwood, for example, already so far, and they're they're really struggling. And we're not seeing anything in in terms of the confidence and the fight and the desire from Fleetwood players uh, at the minute and in and around that squad. But Exeter, I am seeing it from. So I'm just starting to wonder, are they really going to be able to climb themselves out? And I think they're going to be in a good position. And there's going to be four worse teams than them come April. But... Obviously, time will very much tell on that and they need to live up to this promise that they've shown in this sort of recent short period of form. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with Exeter, given the heartbreaking nature, they lost to Reading on New Year's Day, another big game towards the bottom end of the division. They needed to win against Carlisle. It was almost winner or bust, really. Probably that mentality they had. And by Joe, did they sort of do that? Carlisle... Charlie, obviously, they are just above Fleetwood. Again, it does, for me, look a bit bleak now. Extra got a game in hand on them. If they win that game in hand, they go um, nine points clear of them. They're six off safety. They've had one win in 11. They've been busy in the trans window, hoping Luke Armstrong turns their fortunes around. They're probably hoping and praying he scores, actually, after signing from Harrogate. Harrison Neal signed from Sheffield United and Sean Green has signed the loan from Crystal Palace. I think they've probably actually been the busiest side in the January window in League One. We'd said about Fleetwood how there's seemingly a bit of no hope there. I do think, for me, Carlisle don't look like a team who can survive. I think it was always going to be of an uphill battle. Obviously, Carlisle fans themselves are just almost ecstatic they are in League One, given the last few years how really sort of poor they had been and how weak they'd been. Um, and obviously, Ivan Newsom is obviously featured on this, is, is probably not as optimistic maybe of Carlisle surviving as maybe some are. There were some positives yesterday. It did say Harrison Hill and Armstrong, you both started, brought a lot to the table, did make them slightly better. Do you think that it's the same kind of position as Fleetwood or do you think that there is something there for them to survive? Because I feel like with watching them, they're a very defensive first kind of unit. They always have been. They seemingly just can't quite break out of that. If they maybe wanted to attack a little bit more, there is certainly quality there, isn't there? Maybe do you think they need to change something? Or they keep doing what they're doing, but just take away certain things from their game and just improve on it. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing to work out, isn't it? It is with Carlisle. And I very much see them having a very busy transfer January transfer window. And I, I actually said when, um, when Carlisle played Lincoln back in September, that Carlisle out-Lincolned Lincoln that day. In the sense that what they did really well was they were the away side. They went there setting up to make sure to not, Concede of it. I mean, I know they did it, finish one all, but they were going there to try and set up to not let in much and then be able to get their goals when their opportunities came. And I felt they did that really, really well. They were really strong on the counter. They, When they got forward, they were able to create opportunities well. Um, and, you know, I, I thought a draw was a really fair result. But actually, I wouldn't have been 
sort of too disappointed. Well, I obviously would have been disappointed, but I wouldn't have been too surprised to see them get the victory in that game because again, I was actually really, really impressed with them, which then surprised me a lot to see them starting to slip down the table. But I've just made the comparison with Lincoln and I'm going to kind of continue with that analogy because I think their January transfer window now reminds me very similarly to what we had under Michael Atherton's final season, where we went out, we had to bring in John Marcus, for example, uh, in that January transfer window, we brought in a couple of other sort of loan players and such, just to try and ultimately we, we broke the budget a little bit, but it was an idea just to try and climb ourselves back up a little bit up the table and get out of any potential relegation battle. Now, it worked for us. I think Carlisle could end up having the exact same fate as well. I'm certainly not writing them off. However, the short term does look bleak for them. I think they're going to make some transfers. Obviously, you'll hope that whoever they is they bring in, I know they've already made some, but uh, whoever else they bring in, they'll obviously that those players can very much hit the ground running. Luke Armstrong, I think, performed quite well yesterday. He, uh, he got his chances. It's just now about being able to make sure that he can tuck them away on a consistent basis for the next six months and obviously going onwards. But in the short term, like I say, it's looking a little bit bleak. They're at home to Oxford in their next match before then travelling to Oakwell to face Barnsley and then away to, obviously, you know, the resurgent Cheltenham Town, then at home to Bolton, then away to Brisbane Road to face Leighton Orient, then home to Portsmouth, away to Burton, home to Cambridge. Now, for me, home to Cambridge is the next game that I think that they would go in as favourites. Obviously, a home side is automatically slightly more favoured than the away side uh, and I feel like they will go into that game as the bookies' favourites out of the two sides. But we're talking about six weeks away for that game to be played. That's not until the 17th of February and this is what I'm so. This is what I'm really worried about with Carlisle because I think they could have the quality to pull themselves out, but they've got a really tough run over the next few weeks whilst they're making these January transfers. And we've already spoken about the, the, the sort of the confidence and how imperative that is for sides in the bottom sort of four, five, six, seven, eight. And if they're down there, they've had this horrendous run. These new players come in and their heads are starting to drop as well. The situation is going to look a heck of a lot worse for Carlisle United, and then. I'd be really, really worried about their future. I think at the minute they've got a great opportunity to pull themselves out of this kind of relegation zone and potentially even a relegation scrap, but they've got to have a really strong January transfer window and then they've got to translate that onto on-pitch performances. Yeah, and obviously it doesn't feel like that. will just be three players that come in for Colorado. Of course, they did have a takeover, didn't they, just before the end of the year mm-hmm. with the Americans, the Piatak family um, coming in. You do feel like Luke Armstrong probably got to go in there. We don't want to put too much pressure on him. He's only just been there for sort of five minutes, but it really does feel like probably when I speak for Carlisle fans and I say this, he's got to be the one that gets some scoring goals because they have really seriously missed a goal scorer, like many sides actually in League One. But of course, a lot of the sides in League One, like the Shrewsbury's and teams like that, have not been able to say they've been sort of struggling, but for Carlisle, seemingly been one of their problems. So in League One done, uh, for this episode, we'll look at the sides in the FA Cup. Eight teams were involved. And, of course, there was no all-league one ties, actually. There was eight sides involved in eight different matches. Um, and we start off with the biggest shock of the third round in general. Maidstone won Stevenage nil. Stevenage usually are a hard side to beat. And uh, they have only lost a couple of games in League One. And Maidstone surprised everybody by winning um, the side from the National League South. 
uh, were able to win courtesy of a penalty from Sam Corn in stoppage time of the first half. And it's a real surprise, actually, because there was a real strong team put out, actually, by Steve Evans. Now, he only made three changes yesterday to the side that lost to Portsmouth. Butler, Burns and Liss were replaced by Van Kooten, Forster, Kasky and Hemmings. And they're not players who've just been completely distance from the team. They've not been on the sidelines the entire time. They've played a fair bit of the season. So they would have been fresh. They would have been fit. And they would have gone in there. But you've got to give Maidstone a lot of credit and, and give them so much respect for the way they played. I think Steve Evans mentioned in his post-match press conference there was far too much respect shown. Towards the end, they did really pepper the uh, Maidstone goal, but it wasn't enough as they were beaten. So it was a fairly strong side, as I mentioned, that Stevenage did put out as it was a difference of 69 places that uh, was the start of the day. But obviously the side below Stevenage were able to record the victory to send them to round four. No doubt leave their fans absolutely ecstatic. think possibly, you know, you can sometimes look at these things. Yes, it's a shot. Well done to Maidstone. But the way Stevenage are, you know, they are a squad that's very tight-knit. You know, they have been quite blessed this season to not get the injuries. If they maybe had a replay yesterday and, of course, they... You know, if they didn't win, you take a defeat, wouldn't you? If it means that you can try and push for the top six. And they're very much still in this race. I believe they can still maintain that consistency throughout the season to be in and around the top six. They're just outside it at the moment, but they're very much right in now. I think their home form has been key. It just depends if they had that, maybe that extra game, that replay against Maidstone. There might have been a few more injuries, perhaps. They might have had it a bit more difficult, but... Maybe at the moment it's going to sting and it's going to hurt. They've lost to a side that is, of course, three leagues below them. But in the short term, it might benefit them losing um, to Maidstone and obviously puts them out of the FA Cup. But of course, congratulations to the non-league side who will be the only non-league side in the draw for round four. Um, let's move on to Oxford then. They were beaten 6-2 by Coventry. It was always going to be a big ask of Oxford to go to Coventry, a side bang in form in the championship, and they really did get a bit of a job, didn't they? 6-2. They lost. They were 4-1 down by 42 minutes. Joel Letifodier put Coventry in front. Oxford equalised two minutes later with Mark Harris, Ben Sheaf, and then Casey Palmer with an absolute wonder strike would put them 3-1 up. Callum O'Hare put them 4-1 uh, up. Tyler Goodrum scored with 11 minutes to go. Then Matty Godden, not a bad player to uh, bring on for Coventry would then get the final two goals in the 84th and 88th minute as Coventry ran riot against Oxford. Chris, as I mentioned, always going to be a difficult ask to probably play the informed side in the championship or one of them anyway. But what has been quite noticeable from Des Buckingham since he come in is that Oxford have been, you know, yes, they've kept four clean sheets in the sort of games that he's had, which by no means isn't bad at all. But in some of the games they have conceded, they've been very, very leaky. And that might be, moving forward, a bit of a concern for them because under Liam Manning, they were quite a, a possession-based team. They did like to build it up a little bit more. You see the highlights in of Oxford. They're a little bit, it seems a bit more quicker under Buckingham, but a little bit more open. And yes, they, they can certainly score goals, but defensively, it's not as strong as the other sides. And that sort of proved it, isn't it? Do you maybe feel that maybe the balance isn't quite there at the moment for Oxford? Would you be concerned they're quite leaky? How would you sort of, feel about that if you were supporting the news uh, right now? Yeah, it's going to be very difficult to continue the form um, that Liam Manning achieved. I think that obviously he was, he was they're outstanding in the first part of the season and anyone coming in was going to have a, a difficult task to try and maintain that because they were performing above expectations. I think their expectations were playoffs, but 
they were performing above that. I, I think they were they're outstanding at the start of the season, but you can't maintain the level of results that Oxford were, were, were achieving. Uh, so this Buckingham has come in and they've, they've maintained their goal scoring. Um, they averaged in the last five games and, and this one as well, they've averaged two goals for um, in every game so far. But as you mentioned, they've leaked a few. Um, and quite and when, they, when, when they do leak them, they leak them a lot. It's not just like one or two, it's either none and it's fine or it's a few. Um, so dare I say this is a typical cup game. Um, those first four goals were in the first... 17 minutes and I think it was the the penalty on just after half time uh, or just before half time should I say from Callum O'Hare which was really kind of killed it as a tie um, yeah it's difficult isn't it because I think Des Booking was coming to try and stamp his, his authority on the squad a little bit and to try and um, yeah change the style just a, a tad and I think there's one element of it if it ain't broke uh, don't fix it but also that the, the form that Oxford were in prior to Buckingham coming in was kind of unsustainable like they were hugely uh, impressive I think they were on like a 10 game running one at one point in the season you can't do that for the whole season um, so I think there's a, a few kind of teething problems maybe but ultimately they are picking up about 1.5 points a game in the last five games win loss win loss win loss win this was a loss they've got uh, Carlisle away next weekend so they've got a good chance of getting a win there um, and, and kind of getting back on track but I have to say it was a tough game against Coventry Coventry was superb they were just outstanding. They really, really were. They deserved every one of their goals, to be honest. And they, they created chance after chance after chance. And it wasn't really the, because Oxford were gifting them chances. Coventry were, were creating them themselves just with some outstanding kind of close interchange play. In this game, there was 1,152 passes attempted. That's that's more than I've ever seen ever. Um, <laughs> 716 of those from, from Coventry and then the majority of them were in Oxford's half. Um, so I think... As much as the, the points you've made about Oxford under Des Buckingham and that little bit of inconsistency and openness, I think that's definitely valid. Um, I just don't know how valid it is for this particular game. I think Coventry were just a class above, really. Like you say, one of the form teams in the Championship, but just absolutely outstanding on the day. Um, so Oxford, you know, as much as the, the scoreline will hurt, put in a half-decent showing, to be honest. Um, but back to league action. On Saturday, they've actually got... Um, Two away games coming up. They've got Wimbledon in the trophy this midweek. And then they've got a Carlisle away. And as Charlie mentioned about Carlisle recently, about they probably need to be a bit more active in the transfer window and we probably expect them to improve maybe February onwards. I think this is a really good opportunity right now for Oxford to come in and, and maybe get back on the winning track. Well, he did say Des Buckland, didn't he, that he wanted his teams to be very entertaining and easy on the eye. And they have been, certainly so far. So maybe he is stamping his authority, just not quite exactly to how he wants it. There was another League One side away at a championship opponent and wasn't a great day for Cambridge. 5-2 losers at Blackburn. Jack Lancaster put them in front six minutes in. Sammy Schmonich would get a first-half hat-trick. Arnold Sigurdsson would then make it uh, a... Fourth for Blackburn. They were actually at one stage, Cambridge 2-1 up when Smodich got his first. Sully Kaikai made it 2-1. But then Harry Leonard would seal the deal for Blackburn and make it 5-2. Blackburn are very attacking under Yondal, Thomason, Charlie. But in terms of Cambridge, Neil Harris has kind of gone in. They had a bit of goal scoring woes moving forward um, when he arrived. But that seemingly changed. They seemingly finding the back of the net a little bit more. There seems to be more encouraging signs for, for Cambridge of the new manager than maybe you'd slightly say for sort of option, but I guess that might be because of where both are lying in the table. It's kind of different ways that they are. You know, Oxford towards the top six, 
whereas they've lost the manager to a higher side. Cambridge lost the manager in Bonner on a real all-time load, probably say. Needed a fresh voice, and, and that voice is seemingly getting it more across than maybe he hasn't so far. What have you made of sort of Harris in charge at Cambridge? Because there does seem to be a few improvements made so far. There certainly has, and it really was an all-time low for for Cambridge, obviously, when Mark Bonner was let go, losing at home 3-0 uh, to Lincoln. I'm just bringing that up at every opportunity I get, really, because it was our, <laughs> it was our best win of the season, and we don't, I'm going to say we don't have many of them, so I take every opportunity I can. Uh, no, look, they, um, like I say, they have they have changed slightly, and they certainly needed to. Uh, I definitely don't think that they are in any way out of trouble or anything like that. But there certainly has been even just the minor changes, the sorts of things that they need to be able to, like you say, start scoring. Although, on the flip side of that, I have a feeling that yesterday was less about their attacking ability more about Blackburn's defence, well, lack of defensive ability, really. Uh, Blackburn, like I said, you know, they are a real good attacking side. Um, They have actually got the championship top goal scorer at the minute in their side. Player who, as you said, got a hat-trick yesterday, Sammy Schmodix. Not a fan of... Anyway, I won't go down that road. Um, Yeah, look, they... uh, like I said, Blackburn, really strong side, but they also concede a lot. They're the second worst in the championship for goals conceded. Uh, and they are actually, they've actually conceded 10 more goals than what that XG indicates they should have. So it's been really, really poor for them so far this season. Uh, and I think that was then, you know, it, it kind of showed in the game yesterday, uh, Cambridge managing to get two goals, but just being blown out of the water by a much stronger attacking side. And I think this is the thing. Blackburn came into it without a win in five. Cambridge obviously came into it on the back of two losses over the Christmas period. Uh, Their two losses actually only being Boxing Day and New Year's Day as they didn't play the Friday night fixture uh, due to a power cut at Stevenage, if anybody saw that over the festive period as well. That was a, (laughs) that seemed a right mess. Um, So, you know, potentially if they were travelling to Stevenage and we, you know, we know Stevenage, granted they lost against, um, against uh, Maidstone yesterday, but they are still a really strong side. If they'd have lost that game as well, we'd be I feel like we'd be having a bit of a different conversation about Cambridge because that would then be three losses in a row in the league, uh, which for, you know very much could have happened. I'm, as much as I'm starting to see small changes, again, this January transfer window is absolutely pivotal for Cambridge United. Uh, they do definitely risk slipping a little bit further down the table and actually slipping into those relegation zones. Because I just like I'm talking about Carlisle and I'm saying I feel like Carlisle could turn a corner. Talking about Exeter and saying that Exeter have managed to stop the rot and hopefully can use this as a bit of a springboard. Reading, I think, are a really, really good footballing side, uh, but you know, had a really tough start to the season. Obviously, the point deduction as well. I think I can honestly see them starting to climb out of this. So sooner or later, I'm gonna have to pick four teams to go down, you know. And Cambridge, if they're not careful, could very much get into yeah. that, that, that bottom four. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me too much to see them slip a little bit further. Like I say, I th- and I actually don't think it would necessarily be the end of the world. It would give them a chance to, to obviously reset and hopefully bounce straight back. Um, although the quality of League Two, you never quite know with any team that goes down uh, from this division. But like I say, yesterday, yesterday they got two goals. They did get obliterated in terms of conceding five. 
I think that was more about Blackburn and Cambridge. Were, Cambridge didn't really control the game. That game was controlled by Blackburn, which obviously this okay. It meant that uh, Cambridge were able to get a couple of goals, but I think that was more because of Blackburn's defensive frailties rather than Cambridge's strong sort of new look attack. Because yes, okay, they have managed to score a couple of goals in sort of a few games, but they are still down there in terms of the goal scoring in League One. You know, so. They are definitely going to need to make changes. They're already starting to do that. It's not about overnight, um, but sooner rather than later, or else they're going to be in a difficult, difficult position. We'll continue with Saturday's action in the FA Cup. We've got about three sides who played yesterday um, that went out. We're now talking about the two, well, three sides, two of them on Sunday, one yesterday, that will be in the hats at least, albeit have a replay. First one, Norwich won, Bristol Rovers on. I was one of the uh, three, uh, sorry, three, 1,300 plus that made the long, long trip to Norwich. And it was a very, very good performance from Rovers yesterday. We very much came up against the Norwich team who don't seemingly a lot of their supporters trust David Wagner. I think it's fair to say there was a lot of groans, a lot of boos at halftime and at full time. There was a lot of sort of um, anger towards some of the players when they sort of went over towards the sort of um, main stand behind the goal, one of them anyway. It got off to a bad start for Rovers. They started very brightly, actually, to be fair, Rovers, but then Tristan Kramer, a little bit of youthful, you know, inexperienced, actually, but, you know, there's a challenge that leans in. Hernandez gives it to Barnes and he puts it away. And Kramer's got to be stronger there. There was a lot of people saying it was a foul, but I think in the modern day, and I think the way that referees are told to be more lenient, I don't think it is a foul at all. I think he just leans in. I think it was Barnes. He was clever. He was cute. And then he gets the cutback from Menendez and they go in front and you're thinking, oh no, it could be a long day. But there's a bit about Rovers over the last sort of 12 months. I think a lot more times now against these sort of higher clubs or clubs with bigger reputations. We've got a bit of a reputation of, you know, giving the opposition a bit too much respect. And I think that wasn't there yesterday. He's got a really good goal with Grant Ward. Vale missed a good chance where he goes through, keeper saves it. And for me, I was thinking he's got to score. And then Ward comes up with an outside of the foot finish, which is a wonderful goal into the root, uh, into the top corner. And he doesn't get many. And obviously it was sweet for him, of course, being a former um, Ipswich player. Good chance at the end of the first half. Brown was denied by the Norwich goalkeeper. And of course, as well, Luke Thomas hit the post. And that is going to be a chance. He's going to give me nightmares, I think, because it was one that I felt like he should have scored and would have won the game, I think, for Rovers, to be fair. Matt Taylor, though, did say he doesn't want to feel greedy despite the good chances we created and didn't take after the equaliser. He was proud of the performance. Of course, in these sort of games, when you play higher sides, they're going to get at least one or two moments where you've got to ride your luck, and we did. Adam Eder missed the ball from a Hernandez cross. I think he had another chance when he dragged it wide, just wide of Cox's goal. But we looked strong. We looked comfortable in possession. We weren't overawed by playing a team who just sort of nearly two years ago were in the Premier League really took the game to him and actually got the crowd a bit irate, got them a bit angry. As you can see, the sort of Norwich reaction on sort of social media. And afterwards, we've got a replay against and I'd certainly back ourselves to get a, a win at the Memorial Stadium, given the fact Taylor at home has been good so far. Only, um, I think it's Cheltenham um, that, have, that have taken a, a point off him so far. And he's got wins against Portsmouth um, and Charlton to back up as well. So certainly be an interesting replay. That is for sure. Let's move on then to the games on Sunday. The two sides who, of course, play Premier League outfits. Starting off with Luton nil, Bolton nil. Chris, seeing the stats, it very much felt like Bolton, Luton, Luton with the way they sort of played 
frustrating, tight at the back, resilient, which you've got to be away at a Premier League side. And you've got to say as well, it's an even better result for Bolton. Yes, there's a two-league gap, but, you know, Luton put out a very strong side. They wanted to win the game just as much as Bolton did. They certainly didn't do what some Premier League sides usually do and think they were going to focus on survival. They played some of the bigger players. Morris and Adebayo were both up front. And obviously Bolton, you know, went there and got a result, which to be to a lot of fans, maybe the ones outside the Premier League, it's a bit of a surprise, but the ones in the EFL, City League One fans, they probably expected Bolton to at least get something out of losing, and they did. So they've got a replay at least. Yeah, and they deserved it as well. Um, first half was tentative, to say the least, from both sides, but I think that's credit to Bolton. It it looked like two even sides in the first half. Um, but as you mentioned, there, there's a two-league gap here. Uh, but Bolton looked very much on on level terms with, with Luton, to be honest. Paris Magoma particularly impressing in this game. Um, second half was a little bit more open. Um, neither seed side really created anything too clear-cut. I think nil-nil was probably a fair result in that regard. Um, then a real talking point in the second half from a Luton perspective was a shot from Doughty. Uh, hit the post, came straight back to him, and then there was a penalty shout, which I think, if I'm honest, on, on second viewing, probably is is a, is a foul. Um, so you probably feel a little hard done by in that regard. But but Bolton deserved their their draw here and their chance of a replay back at the uh, their home grounds. There's not a huge amount to say in this game in terms of in terms of the action on the pitch. It was it was a tight game, um, but I think that's that's credit to Bolton um, more than anything, to be honest. Um, so yeah, they'll be going into into midweek or into into the replay with with to be honest. I think every opportunity of going through here, there's no denying Luton are, are a good side, obviously Premier League side, and, and are picking up points in the Premier League now as well. Mm. Um, so it's going to be a tough game, but but Bolton are, I think for me, Bolton are probably the most complete team in League One at the moment in regards to their they're so consistent. Um, they can play extremely pretty and extremely um, attacking football when required, but they're also kind of a master of the dark arts and, and, and knowing how to win games and kind of see games out. Um, I think they're kind of really complete, and I think yeah, that can that can that can really give them a good opportunity in the cups as well as the league here. So. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see Bolton go through uh, this this tie when the replay is played. But they absolutely deserve that replay on the balance of the game today. Yeah, and they might get themselves a, a televised fixture on terrestrial TV as well. And another one, you might get that at Blackpool. Started so well, they were 2-0 up at Nottingham Forest as Jordan Gabriel and Albie Morgan put them 2-0 up inside 27 minutes. But Forest came back, Nico Dominguez, and a brilliant strike from Morgan Gibbs White meant the game went to a replay. Of course, I think if memory serves me right, actually played them last year um, in the FA Cup, didn't they? When, uh, of course, Michael Abter was a Blackpool manager and Steve Cooper was the Forest manager. Charlie, 2-2 it was in this game. Um, Blackpool actually scored their only two shots on target. Um, obviously, Forest had all the chances, as you'd expect, they were dominant to some degree. Do you think maybe Blackpool felt a little bit disappointed? Yes, they would have took a replay against the Premier League side, but never nice losing a two-goal lead, regardless of what game you're playing in. It isn't, but um, I actually think a lot of the fans will will very much sort of have the same opinion of Neil Critchley saying that they are absolutely delighted with it to you know to be able to come away with a draw. Like you uh, like you mentioned, this game was very much set up off the back of last season where Blackpool actually beat Nottingham Forest four one. If I uh, if I'm right in that in the sort of third round fixture last season up at Bluefield Road. And they've obviously now got the opportunity to head back there in sort of about 10 days' time. Um, yeah, look, Blackpool went 2-0 up. It was 
<laughs> it was kind of poetic, actually, that it was uh, Jordan Lawrence and Gabriel who bagged the first goal for the away side, considering he is former Forest, uh, you know, former Forest Academy graduate. Uh, so it was, it was just. Quite uh, quite ironic that he ended up being there on the back of, I think it was Montiel with an awful, awful cleared header. I don't know what on earth he was thinking. We're straight into the path and let's see, Lawrence Gabriel uh, managed to get that. And then the second, the second came from, well, you, you, you expect a lower league side when they're going away to a Premier League side, obviously to kind of set themselves up as a base and try to counter. But... You didn't think they'd counter quite so well only two minutes after they scored their first goal because CJ Hamilton found all sorts of space on the right wing. Don't really know where Harry Toffolo was or what he was doing. Um, I don't want to slate him. Guys, the guy's a legend and all this. Uh, but it seemed a little bit poor uh, position in whatever the tactic was there. Uh, and he managed to slide the ball across the box. And I don't know. I mean, Chris, I know that you will absolutely love this kind of arced run to the back post by Albie Morgan. It was absolutely outstanding. Uh, and obviously the cross to find him as well was was incredible. But that arced run to, to make himself free at the back post by Albie Morgan, unbelievably uh, sort of well taken there as well. And then moving forward, like you say, they did unfortunately concede two and they'll be a little bit disappointed in that. But the quality from Forest did begin to show. They had a lot more chances and, to be honest, very much could have won this game. Uh, Chris Wood hit it just wide. And in the end, it actually took a sublime strike from Morgan Gibbs-White to get the equaliser. Uh, and then the game ended 2-all. Yes, OK, Forest had more chances. But Forest are very much a team who are better when they're being pushed back. So it doesn't surprise me too much that they struggled against obviously a Blackpool side who were more than happy to let Forest have as much of the ball as they wanted uh, and you know made sure to set up in a bit of a mid to low block and stop Forrest from being able to use the pace that they've got on the wings because that's where they can punish sides uh, and you know they they very much got a couple of opportunities like that but not many really strong performance from Blackpool they knew exactly what they needed to do they set up with a game plan they you know they carried it out very impressively uh, and hopefully they could do the same for, you know, for their fans, hopefully uh, they can do the same at Bloomfield Road uh, next week. And how many times have we seen Blackpool this season set up in that low block approach? I mean, well, yeah, they were doing it a lot at the start of the season. Obviously, if you've watched mm. against them or certainly a regular watcher of Blackpool, they'll certainly attest to that as well as sometimes showing their attacking quality, their counter-attacking ability more so. So no doubt they'll feel quite confident, uh, as Charlie mentioned, that they could get a result there. So that's three sides who will be in the hat, albeit they have got to win. A replay to be in round four. These next two sides coming up won't be. Um, Peterborough being by higher opposition. They were 3-0 losers at home to Leeds. Of course, our very own Keelan Sarsen was in attendance. Um, probably seeing the statistics. I mean, obviously, Walsh probably won't be satisfied with the way they played. Um, Ethan Ampadu getting two rare goals for himself. Patrick Bamford stealing the show with an absolute sublime volley. Uh, taking on his chest and bang, arrowed it left-footed to the large contingent of Leeds away fans, as they often are selling at the away ends. Um, look, Leeds can blow teams away, as we know. If you were watching the Championship as well as the other leagues in the EFL, you'll know that they're away, that they've probably got the best trio in the league, you could arguably say. I mean, obviously, in terms of, you know, who they had, I mean, you know, you see the lineup today, it was Peru. Um, it was the only one of the the, the likes of James, Rupert and Somerville that played. Um, so, obviously, it was Patrick Bamford that actually came in and scored, which just shows that how well they've been, that Patrick Bamford, who, 
We usually know as a good EFL striker, can't really get a look in um, in this team. But kind of like the Stevenage point of view, more so for Peterborough, their, you know, their big thing is to get promotion. They won't mind that they've gone out of the FA Cup to a higher side. Of course, different to Stevenage, they got beat by a side three leagues below. And they've been beaten by a side, a good side, who could well be in the Premier League in less than six months' time. Very much, you know, lost to Leeds, who are a side on their day that, as I mentioned, can blow anybody away. They can now focus on the, the league again where they've got a very good chance of being in the top two and even pushing at least Pompey for top spot because there's only a four-point gap and they've got a game in hand on Portsmouth and, of course, as well, have a chance to sort of push Bolton and Pompey as well. So very interesting to see how that will develop. The last game then um, played this afternoon in Shrewsbury are out. They lost to lower opposition, Shrewsbury nil, Wrexham won. Before you give your analysis on this game, Chris, um, I did a bit of digging, actually. They've played 33 games this season, Shrewsbury. They've not scored in 18 of them, which is actually very, very worrying and alarming if you're a Shrewsbury Town fan. Wrexham winning, not a great surprise. Of course, Charlie will know all about Wrexham, given he's a, a regular host on the League Two um, podcast. Again, though, for Shrewsbury, another goalless worries. Of course, there were scenes on social media when they lost to Burton over the festive period about Shay Dunkley having to sort of speak to the fans who were not happy with the way the team was playing. Certainly not going to be made easy by the fact they were dumped out by Wrexham. Yes, Wrexham could well be in League One next year, but it is a side lower than them in the you know football pyramid, isn't it? So, you know, worrying times again. We talk about goal-scoring teams not scoring at the moment in League One. There's a, there's a team right there that are really, really struggling. Yeah, you could, it's, it's interesting to compare Wrexham to, to Shrewsbury, albeit a league apart. I'd, I'd like to see the budgets available for both teams. I imagine Wrexham um, probably would be uh, either on par or maybe even ahead of, of, of Shrewsbury in that regard. But um, there's a real kind of um, good feel about this game. They're really an in, in, intense game, um, almost a sellout at the New Meadow, the highest attendance of the season by quite some margin in a kind of cup tie slash semi-local derby, only 30 miles separating the two teams. Um so that yeah, that kind of felt a bit different considering um, what you mentioned in regards to the maybe the atmosphere around the club at the moment at Shrewsbury. Um, so yeah, a bit of a kind of a positive feel around uh, the build up to the game, around the atmosphere in the game. But on the pitch, it was sadly same old Shrewsbury in regard to goal scoring woes and um, reasonably solid at the back. Only gave up 0.57 xg. Um, I can't score. <laughs> you can't score. They missed a, a host of, of, of really good chances. Um, Mel Benning had a, had a great opportunity, by the way. He, he ran down the left, um, lovely outside of the foot effort, came off the bar, deserved a goal. Uh, but earlier in the game, Sabawale missed the target where it was easier to score. Uh, and they had a, a host of kind of half chances, a couple of big chances that they just, they just didn't take. And it was very much a case of if you don't take your chances, you always get the opportunity, a chance to bite you on the backside. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Um, I think maybe to the... Uh, to the neutral, um, maybe to the casual observer, Wrexham, maybe it's not a huge surprise that they've won this game, to be honest, because of the um, the quality they have in their side. But to be brutally honest, it didn't massively show in this one. Shrewsbury were arguably the better side, had the better chances. But Wrexham, uh, with a deflected goal three quarters of the way through the game, was enough to, to see through Shrewsbury. And ultimately, if you, if you score a goal against Shrewsbury, you're very unlikely to lose the game. Uh, as it stands at the moment, because it's very rare they score at all, let alone two goals. So, um, yeah, once again, for Shrewsbury, they'll be kicking themselves and missing some opportunities, but at least they created some in this game. They've struggled to create some in recent weeks. So, 
Um, I suppose if you're trying to draw a silver lining on it, um, at least they created a few good chances in this one. But yeah, they're desperate for a goal scorer or at least a, a system which allows them to, to create more chances on the whole. Um, but they did create a few in this one, 11 shots, but just two on target. Yeah, certainly the January wish list for them in this window is to get a new striker, of course, Max Matter. And uh, Ryan Bowman not really hitting the heights at the moment, so they definitely do need another four. Well, that is it. We've spoken about League One and the FA Cup. We've combined the two, and certainly does make for an interesting nice drink, doesn't it? Um, combining the two. My thanks goes to Chris Lamin and to Charlie Beeston for their contributions as ever. Top stuff as ever, chaps. Remember, keep listening to all the content that we've got. Of course, we've got a League Two podcast, which, of course, contributed today. Charlie is a big um sort of contributed to, of course, plays a big part in that. Of course, if you're a League Two fan, get listening to that really good show there. We'll be back next week with the usual League One review, 12 games in total. And of course, as well, have a great rest of your week and we'll see you again very, very soon. Bye for It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then late on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.